welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. So this week, I was at Field Service Palm Springs. Um, I wanted to record this on site, but I ran out of time, and you can tell by my heavy sweater that I'm back in Pennsylvania. Um, But uh, it was the 20th anniversary of the Field Service events, um, and uh, I'm sure some of you that listen have attended before. They have Field Service Palm Springs, um, a Field Service East event, which is typically uh, used to be in Amelia Island. Um, last year was in Hilton Head. There's Field Service Europe. And then they have a series of Field Service Connect events um, in different areas. And so it was the 20th anniversary. Uh, I was asked a couple of times and was racking my brain to try and remember what was the first year I attended. Um, and I'm thinking it had to be 2009 or 2010. Um, I certainly don't remember for sure, but it's been quite a long time. Um, and when I first attended uh, the event, I was typically um, one of, you know, two, maybe three women at the entire conference. So that's certainly something that sticks with me um, because I remember, and I shared this uh, a bit this week, um, the first presentation I ever gave, uh, and it was horrible. Um, It was horrible. I was uh, very nervous. um, And certainly some of those nerves came from, you know, being um, in a room uh, where I was uh, the minority. Uh, And so um, we've come a long, long way. Uh, The the attendance this year was was really good and certainly, um, you know, consisted of a lot more diversity. So there's a long way to go. Uh, we're not, you know, where we need to be. Um, but one of my observations um, was, you know, just looking around and thinking about how much that aspect has changed uh, in the time that I've been attending. Uh, I really enjoy this event every year, um, not only because it's in a beautiful setting um, in Palm Desert, which, you know, is nice to look at out of the windows. You're not spending a, a whole lot of time um, enjoying it per se, but, uh, it's a really nice backdrop. Um, but, you know, there are people, uh, in this industry, uh, that I have, you know, now seen year after year, uh, for over a decade. And, you know, it's, um, given me an opportunity to, uh, build, um, some really great relationships. And, uh, it's always nice to, see those people and uh, have a chance to catch up. And uh, it's also nice to have an opportunity to meet new people every year. So it's a great event. Uh, and the um, the attendance was good this year. The energy was good. Uh, and I think, um, you know, it was a really great 20 year celebration for WBR and the team that puts the field service events on. Uh, I think when I think about sort of the progress the industry has made, Um, you know, it was representative to me in the diversity in attendees. Now, if someone from outside of our industry walked into the event, I'm not by any means saying they would take note of how diverse the crowd is, you know, we're not um, necessarily uh, that far, but, you know, comparatively speaking, I guess is my point. The other thing in terms of progress, though, that stood out to me is the topics being covered. So this year, it felt like there were a lot more 
conversations related to um, leadership, to um, employee engagement and uh, company culture. Um, and, you know, those things to me show that service is becoming less of a silo and more a foundational aspect of the business because, you know, when service is or was a silo, um, you know, it, it's easy to kind of just focus on more of the operational things. Uh, and that's what this event, you know, used to be primarily about. Um, but as service, you know, becomes perceived as more of a path to growth, um, those other aspects start making a bigger and bigger difference, right? Because the um, the responsibilities you're giving to your team are different. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, the not ability, the responsibility you have to create a culture where innovation can thrive becomes um, a consideration. You know, obviously there's a lot of conversations about talent um, and I think that's not only because companies are struggling to find talent, but also because the type of employee um, field service organizations want today um, is different than it used to be. They want people that are more self-starters, more entrepreneurial in spirit, more empowered, uh, more creative. Um, and, you know, that's something that just demands some of these other changes when we think about leadership and things like that. So. I really enjoyed hearing about that. Um, there was a session uh, on the first day of the event from Darren Elmore of Rico. And uh, that session was primarily about how they are um, incorporating a remote first service approach, which I'm hoping to have him on the podcast to talk about. But he also talked about um, five essentially excuses that companies use to not innovate. Uh, and I shared some of that. Uh, or a recap of that in um, our article on Monday. And I really liked that portion of his presentation, even on its own, um, before he got into their journey with remote service, because, you know, that's kind of where we are, right? Um, we're not necessarily talking as much about how do we incrementally improve. We're talking about, you know, how do we innovate and how do we evolve um, to what the next generation of service and field service will look like. So I love that. Um, on day two, yeah, day two, um, Charles Hughes uh, with Highwire gave a presentation on um, you know, the realities of employee burnout and the responsibility leaders have in creating better uh, work-life balance for their teams and for themselves. I thought it was a great session. And I also think the fact that a topic like that is, you know, on the agenda is just representative to me of progress and evolution in the space. Um, Josh Zolan uh, was at the event. So Josh was on the podcast before. I should have looked up the episode number. Uh, he wrote the book, Blue is the New White. Um, he is the CEO of Windy City Equipment and he uh, took over his family business and he is a huge um, advocate and evangelist for the skilled trades. Um, and he gave a very powerful presentation on day three talking about, you know, how we use stories to um, paint a better, uh, um, sometimes a different, uh, sometimes just a picture 
to people about the opportunity for careers that um, services represents. So that was, I think, a really great session as well. Um, so there was uh, some great things that took place. Um, and I uh, gave a, a very short keynote presentation on day two. Um, I took the opportunity with the 20th anniversary theme to talk about if I were to step back and look at um, my observations in the time that I've been in this industry, what are the five macro lessons from the last um, 20 years? So really, we'll say, you know, 15 years. I haven't quite been in this space 20 years. But um, what are the five lessons uh, that we have learned that will um, really need to remain top of mind as we forge the future of service? So um, for those of you that weren't able to be at the event, I thought I would kind of go through um, what I shared and uh, share some of that with you. Um, so you know, going back to um, Josh uh, Zolan's point on day three about the power of stories. I mean, I talk about that a lot for those of you that listen to this podcast um, with any regularity. You know, I that is really the premise of this podcast, right? It's sharing the stories of service leaders. What's on their mind? What are they working toward? What are they grappling with? What lessons have they learned, et cetera? And I think the fact that I'm in a position to hear those stories day in and day out over a really, you know, significant amount of time at this point, you know, because it's stories, they stick in my mind. Um, and so there's a quote, if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Uh, it's Rudyard Kipling. And I really, really like that quote. And, um, you know, like Josh, I am a big believer in the power of storytelling. And so when I think about, you know, reflecting on the years I've been in this space and what were these macro lessons that stood out, you know, I'm sort of consolidating a lot of different stories to present to an audience about, you know, what are those core themes? Um, and, the reason it, I can kind of pull those together is because there's a lot of different stories that stand out that really illustrate some of these points. So let me kind of share with you the five lessons, okay? So the first one is um, services a path to brand differentiation and revenue growth. Um, so I'm sure to some folks, you know, it's that sounds very obvious, right? Um, but when I started in this space, you know, that was not an obvious statement at all. Um, service was perceived as a cost center. Uh, all services, you know, that I was talking with folks about were very transactional. Um, the revenue model put a lot of focus on speed and efficiency versus value or customer experience, which meant that the um, workforce, the emphasis was really on productivity and technical skill versus things like soft skills and, and, um, you know, the customer journey, things like that. Uh, so it's one of the most fundamental shifts that I've witnessed in my time in this space, this recognition that, you know, service holds so much power in terms of our brand identity. It really is an ability to differentiate your business and a path to, uh, to grow revenue. Um, and I think most organizations that I speak with today, you know, have learned that lesson. They've had that recognition. 
However, I think when it comes to taking that lesson and turning it into, um, you know, capitalizing on that potential, there's just still a lot that can be done, right? So, you know, there's so much more um, opportunity for organizations to put a focus on service, to use it um, to create that brand experience and that differentiation, to move toward outcomes-based models, uh, to leverage technology that exists today to be more predictive and to you know, really transform the value proposition that they offer to customers, which can lead to, um, you know, new types of digitally focused and digitally driven offerings. It can lead to new, lead to new service models and new revenue models. Um, I think there's still a huge amount of opportunity for co-innovation with customers. So uh, it's a lesson that I think most have learned, but one that we need to keep thinking about because, you know, the the potential um, that exists, the potential that this lesson could teach us is only, you know, limited by the restrictions a company puts on itself. Um, so that was the first one. The second one is the frontline worker is um, a powerful position. So tied very closely to the first um, but here's where I, I think in terms of the continuum, you know, the recognition of service as a path to differentiation came first, the recognition of the role the frontline workforce plays in doing that, um, came after, and for some is still a work in progress, right? So, you know, historically employees were viewed as assets and, the focus within organizations was more so on, you know, controlling them, sort of getting them to comply with whatever change was happening, um, getting them to execute on the job that the company wanted them to do. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of acknowledgement between, um, you know, that correlation between the employee experience and the customer experience. And again, you know, I said this before, there was more focus on technical aptitude versus the incorporation of soft skills um, and, you know, how that changes the customer relationship. So when you think about that evolution combined with the challenges companies face today around talent, uh, this is an area where we really, really need to be thinking about um, that frontline worker is a very powerful person in terms of our customer experience and our brand identity. So what does that mean in terms of, you know, what that role looks like, what their experience looks like, how we treat them, um, you know, all sorts of things, right? So we know that we can't exceed in our goals for service growth without the frontline. And as our service delivery evolves, you know, the frontline uh, must evolve with it. And the way that we treat um, our frontline workforce, the way that we, you know, leverage that position, the way that we um, empower them, et cetera, you know, has to change as well. Um, I think a big part of that is moving beyond that inclination to want to control and instead focus on what it takes to empower those workers and create more of a sense of ownership. Uh, so that is number two. Um, number three uh, is technology when applied well is a great enabler. So 
this is obviously another um, very clear lesson we've learned. However, the point I talked about here is that, um, you know, again, if you look back to when I started, you know, a lot of the interviews I did were companies moving from actual paper uh, to their first generation of a uh, field service management solution. Um, I would say that's very, very rare today, right? Most companies um, have have been through that evolution and they're now moving to their second generation, third generation and beyond of their service management systems. The technology though has come a long, long way in terms of the sophistication and the functionality and the capabilities that exist. I mean, it, it really is um, impressive, you know, what technologically speaking is possible today. I think what is happening is that a lot of the organizations are catching up to being able to use the capabilities that exist today, right? So um, I think as organizations, um, you know, there's a lot of layers of change that come in to digital transformation. And so I think we're at a place where you know, really the technology providers um, are a bit further ahead than not all, but some of the organizations in terms of, you know, really putting the internal change in place, um, you know, refining workflows, um, you know, all of those different things to make sure that they have a good, you know, really well working foundational service management solution in place before they start to look for ways to um, augment that. So when you think about some of the more advanced capabilities that are in use today, um, augmented reality, machine learning, AI, you know, all of those things, they all have very um, attainable practical applications for businesses today. And you see um, certainly some organizations that are ready to leverage those, um, those uh, capabilities and are doing so uh, with incredible success. Um, when I look at the industry as a whole, I think there are also a lot of organizations that are catching up um, to being able to put those tools in place and really leverage them to their full uh, capacity. So, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of change and certainly there's a lot of variety from business to business on where people stand. Um, but, uh, there's just this idea that, um, you know, the technology has changed so much that some organizations are still trying to move beyond, you know, maybe a first or second gen solution to a more modern solution that's fully functional based on today's standards, um, and then leverage some of the more sophisticated capabilities the companies that try and rush through that foundational step and they're on maybe a, you know, an outdated or a poorly deployed, um, you know, sort of foundational system, and then just try and layer in these, uh, these new capabilities, you know, tend to see uh, issues in doing so. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it is a great enabler. It's, it's not only a great enabler. I mean, it's really, really um, just a, necessity um, for today's businesses. It just needs to be uh, handled in a way that aligns with business objectives. Um, so that was number three. Number four, uh, the most successful um, comp companies change before they have to. Um, I skipped ahead of myself. I guess 
going back to the technology point, the main point I wanted to make is that while there are so many powerful capabilities that exist today, they're only as powerful as an organization's ability to manage change. So I guess that's kind of the conclusion of what I was trying to say. The companies that have, you know, gone through the, um, you know, the uh, school of hard knocks in, um, in managing change and, and, you know, coming up with a good way to do that, you know, they're a bit ahead in being able to implement uh, some of the more advanced um, technologies today. There are other companies that, you know, are kind of still working on managing that change well so that they can um, leverage everything that exists today. So, all right, on to lesson four. Uh, the most successful companies change before they have to. Um, so again, when I came into this space, you know, things were really stable, uh, maybe even a bit stagnant. Um, and then things started to, you know, progress at a far slower pace than we've seen in recent years. But, you know, we started to see changes in our, in our, um, consumer lives, uh, in, from a technology standpoint, you know, we had, uh, the introduction of the iPhone and, um, Amazon and all of these different things that, um, really started to put pressure on, uh, customer, um, expectations across, you know, any industry, even those that are not really consumer centric. Um, and so, you know, digital transformation um, has changed our ability to, you know, have always on constant real time communication across the organization uh, and with our customers. Um, and that has just, you know, snowballed the amount of change that has taken place. Um, of course, in the last couple of years, we've had a whole lot of, of other things that have sort of um, forced organizations into, you know, other degrees of change. And, you know, the reality is it, it really isn't um, slowing down. It's only getting faster, right? So there are companies that sort of embrace that reality and have, you know, kind of uh, reconciled the fact that they need to be a lot more flexible, nimble, agile in how they work. And, um, there are some who, you know, are still maybe looking back with longing on, um, you know, what was 15 or 20 years ago. So I, I think the message here is, um, you know, you don't want to be forced to change. You want to be making the decision to do so before it becomes a necessity. Um, again, Darren uh, Elmore from Rico had uh, a great message within his session that I shared some of um, in Monday's article. But, you know, this idea that, um, you know, you want to do the disrupting, you don't want to be disrupted, right? And I think, you know, complacency is really at odds with creating competitive advantage. Uh, so we need to, um, you know, get comfortable with that reality, we need to be thinking outside of the box, looking outside of our own industry for inspiration and information, um, and really thinking about, you know, from a company culture and leadership perspective, what are we doing to um, create a culture of innovation and uh, eliminate fear of risk or fear of failure? So I think that's a, a big opportunity for the industry going forward. Number five, um, we must prioritize people first and profits will follow. Um, you know, 
again, when I started out, you know, this was all very cost center conversation. It was very, um, you know, just like I said, employees as assets, it was very cut, 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 um, minimize, et cetera. And, um, you know, that maybe worked for the the place um, that businesses were in then. But today, you know, with the opportunity for service as uh, an opportunity to differentiate and to grow, um, we need to think a bit differently about how we juggle that um, or how we strike the balance, right? And how we think about um, not just short-term objectives or, you know, the quarterly goals, but the big picture, right? Um, This is true in how we treat our customers as people and how we focus on um, building better relationships with them and understanding their needs to a degree where we can innovate from the outside in. Uh, And it's certainly incredibly important when we think about how we engage with uh, our employees, our talent, uh, our people internally. Um, So I'm not saying this uh, in the sense of, you know, profits don't matter, numbers don't matter. They absolutely do. Um, I just think that the companies who are focused solely on that are taking a very short-sighted approach. Um, and I think that, you know, there is um, a lot of ties in with this lesson to the realities of what's important to um, attracting, you know, attaining and retaining talent today, um, what customers value from the companies they do business with in terms of, um, you know, it its authenticity, its commitment um, to them and to its people, et cetera. So I think this is um, a a big trend going forward as well. And again, how that ties back to um, company culture, uh, individual leaders, et cetera, will be um, really interesting to watch. Um, there's another quote I shared that says the purpose of knowledge is action, not knowledge. So I think there are certain, you know, situations where these are lessons that have been learned, but maybe not applied as much as they can be. Um, so that's why, you know, I wanted to reflect back on some of them, um, because I think they're, you know, not only representative of the the biggest changes I've seen um, in, you know, not only attending this particular event year over year, but just, you know, thinking back on all of the conversations I have, um, and all of the things that I've sort of witnessed, um, you know, they're representative of that change, but they're also really five of the keys to unlocking the potential that exists uh, as we move ahead. So that's what I shared uh, in a much faster manner, by the way, <laughs> at the event. Um, and I hope that uh, you um, can take some value from that as well. So it was a great event. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read Monday's article that um, talked about some of the points from Darren Elmore's session Uh, related to uh, embracing innovation, um, please have a look at that and stay tuned. Hopefully I'll have an opportunity in the coming months to get some of the uh, folks that um, I connected with at the event to come here and share their stories with you firsthand. So that's it. 
For now, you can find more at futureoffieldservice.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Future of Field Service Insider so that you don't miss any of our weekly articles or podcasts. Um, also, make sure you take a look at the uh, live tour um, schedule. We have events coming up in Birmingham, UK on May 17th, Paris on May 24th, Minneapolis on June 15th. Um, yes, June 15th, uh, Dusseldorf, June 21st, and Stockholm, September 7th. So if you are near any of those areas and would like to come and join us for a day of conversation and connection, um, I would love to see you. Uh, all of the events are free to attend. Uh, you can register um, for the location nearest you on uh, the website, so futureoffieldservice.com. As always, uh, the Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.